0: You've just heard the, the longest sermon recorded in the New Testament. That's the longest defense of Christianity that you'll find in the Bible anywhere. It comes from the, uh, the mouth of the Apostle Stephen. I'm going to focus on him a bit tonight. I want to begin there with a true story. Uh, she was just uh, 17 years old. Uh, the communists discovered an underground Bible study in downtown Shanghai. It was a Tuesday night, and unannounced, this gang of communists burst through the doors, put a pistol to the pastor's head, and said, you must denounce your faith, otherwise we'll kill you. They said, oh, we'll let you go if one by one you spit on this book of lies. You first, they said, and they grabbed an older man and they forced him to kneel down in front of his Bible, and he did this, he went, And then prayed, Lord, Lord, please forgive me, I do love you. And he was allowed to go. Next, they grabbed an older lady and they said to her, Spit on your Bible. And she just did a tiniest of spit, again praying, Lord, forgive me. And she was allowed to go. And then this 17 year old appeared from nowhere. She voluntarily stepped forward with this, this, this aura of peace about her. And she was overcome with, with love for her Lord. And she knelt down in front of the Bible, and with her skirt, she, she wiped away the spit of the people who had gone before her. And she, she kissed her Bible. And in an audible voice, she prayed. Father, forgive these men. They don't know what they're doing. And then a pistol was put to her head. Now friends, I share that story not to scare you. In God's mercy, and God's kindness, few, if any of us in this room tonight will ever be called to die for our faith. But you know, around the world tonight, Hundreds, thousands, millions of people are doing just that. And the point is that they are willing to die believing something. They're willing to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. They are so convinced that he is true. They're so convinced that he is their Lord and he is their Savior. And they're so convinced of glory. They're so convinced of heaven that they're willing to die for it. See, we may not have to die for our faith. But the reality is that everybody in this room tonight will die. Every man, every woman in this room tonight will die. I don't know how you will die. I don't know when we will die. But one day we will die. And that truth is true. That when you know Jesus, if you know Jesus, it radically changes the way that you face your death. If you've got a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and you're trusting him as your Lord and your saviour, that he has taken the penalty for your sin, that you are confident that God has forgiven you, that radically changes the way that you face your death. Oh, The pain is real, but your future is certain. Uh, Rachel and I have been reading a book called The Hardest Peace. It's written by a lady called Cara Tippett. She's on the screen. She's 38 years old. She's a pastor's wife. She has four young children. And she also has cancer. And she's dying of cancer. Here's her words. I love this sentence. I feel like I'm, a, I feel like, I'm like a little girl at a party whose dad has arrived and telling her it's time to leave. But it's just too early and I'm throwing a fit. I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to go home yet. I have great confidence about my next life, but my vision of heaven is quite dim when I look upon the faces of my little ones. I have no fear of death, but I do fear seeing the effects of my sufferings on those I love. I personally am ready to meet Jesus. I'm ready to see my saviour. I'm ready to go home. It's a very real book. She doesn't minimise the pain and her anger. But there's a woman who's utterly confident about heaven. There's a woman who lives well and who dies well. As a pastor, I do watch a number of people die. There's a radical difference between those who die in Jesus and those who die without Jesus. If you're in Jesus, you've got this peace, you've got this confidence, you've got this certainty, and sometimes, yes, a longing just to go home. And that should be us, you know. If we're Christians here today, if we know Jesus, if we love Jesus, it should change everything. It changes the way that we live, it changes the way that we die. Simple point tonight. When you love Jesus... You live well and you die well. When you love Jesus, he he shapes how you spend your time here. You live differently. You live well on earth. And when you love Jesus, he shapes the way that you face your death. Tonight we're going to focus on Stephen. He's the man that we met last week in Acts chapter 6. He was the first deacon who waited on tables. He's also the first Christian martyr. He's a man who lived well and who died well because he knew Jesus. When you read about Stephen, please don't think he's some sort of cardboard cutout figure. He's a real man with real family and real friends. If he was a member of this church, he'd be the man that was known by all of us for his godliness and his servant heart and his Christlikeness and his passion for Jesus. And we'd be sitting here tonight mourning and weeping over his death but rejoicing that he's now with his Saviour. So two simple things. If you know Jesus, you live well. Do you ever wish that you could be at your own funeral to hear what people say about you? Do you ever wish you could write your own eulogy about what you would like people to say about you? How do you want to be remembered here on earth? I can you imagine people standing here saying, oh, you know, he's a, he was a good bloke. He was a nice guy. Uh, he led church well. He cared well. He was kind. He had nice kids. He was a good husband. He was a good father. He thought he was a good singer. <laughs> is, is that what you want to be remembered for? Those trivial things in life? Look how Stephen's remembered. Chapter 6, verse 8. Stephen, the first martyr, Full of grace and power. Literally that means full of sweetness and strength. Full of the grace of Jesus and the power of God. Back in chapter 6 verse 5 he's described as a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Back in in 6 verse 3 he's described as a man full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. Now that phrase, full of, that's repeated, means to be under the control of. Stephen is under the control of faith, under the control of the Spirit, under the control of wisdom, under the control of grace, under the control of power. Isn't that a beautiful way to be described? It it doesn't mention anything about what he did or how kind he was. It's all about his faith and his character. I'd love to be known as that. Full of grace, full of power, full of faith, full of the Spirit. So how do you get to be like that? It starts with being filled with the Spirit, doesn't it? You, you cannot have any of those things if you don't know Jesus. You can't be full of grace and full of power and full of faith without Jesus. But listen carefully, just because you know Jesus, just because you're a believer in Jesus, that does not automatically make you full of faith or full of grace or full of power. So how does that happen? It's such a simple point, but you know... There is no shortcut to being full of faith. It just comes from spending more and more and more and more time with God. The more you know Jesus, the more you know about Jesus, the more you love Jesus, the more you grapple with God's word, the more you apply God's word, the more you live God's word, the more you breathe God's word, the more you become a man or woman of faith. Stephen's not abnormal. He is the normal man the normal woman. As you spend more and more and more time with God, you become more and more and more like Jesus, and you live well. Do you remember in John's Gospel, when Jesus steps into the world, he's described as Jesus. He's full of grace and truth. And Stephen here is full of grace and power. He's just like Jesus. I want to be like that. I don't want to be remembered by how many triathlons I've competed in or, or how big my house was or how many kids I had or what my fashion sense was like. I want to be remembered for my faith, for my trust in Jesus, by my grace and by my godliness and by my God's spirit at work in me. How do I know that Stephen's a man full of faith? When he's put in the dock when he's charged with blasphemy, what words come out of his mouth? Does he defend himself? Does he start to say, it's all about me? The words that come out of Stephen's mouth in chapter 7, he just speaks scripture. He just speaks the word of God. He just takes people on an Old Testament overview. He points people to God and God's work in history you ever met people like that, that when you speak to them, when you talk to them, uh, what comes out of their mouth is just the Word of God. It's like, it just oozes out of them. They just drip with Scripture. There's a man or woman who has soaked themselves in the Word of God, and the Word of God shapes and defines their very life. I'll quote Charles Spurgeon again. Oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the Word of God. And get that word into ourselves. As I have seen the silkworm eat into the leaf and consume it, so ought we to do with the word of the Lord. Not to crawl over its surface. Not to dabble with it, but to eat right into it. Till we have taken it into our inmost parts. It is blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible. Until at last you come to talk in scriptural language and your very style is fashioned on the scripture models and what's better still your spirit is flavored with the words of the Lord I could quote John Bunyan read anything of his and you will see that it's almost like reading the Bible itself pick him anywhere his blood is bibline the very essence of the Bible flows from him he cannot speak without quoting a text for his very soul is full of the word of God and I commend an example to you beloved That's John Bunyan, that's Charles Spurgeon. Is that you? That was Stephen. He opened his mouth and the scriptures come flooding out. How does it happen? It's not rocket science. You make time to read, you make time to meditate and to memorize and you allow the word of God to dwell in you richly and to shape you and you speak it and you live it. And Stephen's speech in chapter 7 is all about Jesus. The charge against him is in verse 13. This, uh, chapter 6, verse 13. This man does not, speaking, does not stop speaking blasphemous words against his holy place and the law. For we heard him say that Jesus, this Nazarene, will destroy the temple and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. I'm going to summarize Stephen's speech in, in two ways. If, if you know Jesus then God is always with you. It's about God's presence. And if you know Jesus, then God's always in control. You see, the issues for the Jews was that they were so obsessed with the temple. And so when Stephen spoke about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he would destroy the temple and build it in three days, that's blasphemous. If you're a Jewish person here tonight, you are obsessed with God's temple because if there's no temple, you can't meet with God. If there's no temple, you can't offer your sacrifices. If there's no temple, there's no priest and you can't be forgiven. And if you're a Jewish believer, you have to get to the temple to meet with God. We'd never think that, would we? The church is the place where you meet with God. Come into church and somehow you're in God's presence. Walk out of church and God's not with you. You'd never think like that, would you? When you you come into church, you're on your best behavior because God is here. But we walk out of church, you can behave how you like because God doesn't see. You wouldn't think that, would you? No Christian would really think that, that God is in a building, would they? This is just bricks and mortar, isn't it? Many, many, many Christians think they have to go to a church to meet with God. If you know Jesus Christ, you run to Jesus to meet with God, not to any building, not to any temple, not to any church. How dare we try and confine God to a building or box him into a temple? Let's do a quick tour of history, shall we? Let's think about Abraham. Remember Abraham? Great promises to Abraham, you know. Although you're childless, God's going to provide a child for you. You're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars and go to an amazing place. Here's the question for you. Where was Abraham when God spoke to him where did God meet Abraham in the temple no look at 7 verse 2 brothers and fathers the the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia that's modern day Iraq there was no temple there was no city of Jerusalem but God was there God didn't need a temple to meet with his son What about Joseph? Remember Joseph's story? How he was sold as a slave and left for dead and how he ended up in prison and accused of being uh, promiscuous with Potiphar's wife and promoted to prime minister. Where where was God? Where did Joseph meet with God? Verse 9. The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. But God was with him in Egypt. Egypt. And God saw him and God rescued him and God gave him favor and God gave him wisdom. See, God does not need a building to meet with his people. There's no holy place, there's no temple, but God is there. What about Moses? The great man Moses. Surely he went to a temple to meet with God. Surely he went to a building to meet with God. Where was Moses when God spoke to him? Chapter 7, verse 29. Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian. If he thought that Iraq was bad, Saudi Arabia is even worse. And after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of a burning bush. There's no temple inside, it's just a burning bush, but God is there. See, God does not need a building to meet with his people. He never has. I love verses 33 and 34. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy ground. You can have a holy ground without a holy temple. I've observed the oppression of my people in Egypt. God heard their groaning. God came down and rescued them. God was with them. And there wasn't a temple in sight. So why did they build the temple? Verse 47, it was Solomon who built him a house. But the Most High does not dwell in sanctuaries made with the hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What sort of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Did not my hands make all these things? How can the make of everything be contained within some man-made structure? Listen carefully. Yes, God allowed them to have a temple so they could offer sacrifices. Yes, God allowed them to have a temple so they could worship. Him. But he didn't need that. The problem is when we start to think that you have to go to a place to meet with God. Where in your mind you suddenly think as church is the place where you meet with God. But outside this building you leave God behind. Do you remember when Jesus stepped into the world? What was his attitude towards the temple? Do you remember walking to the temple and shouting how dare you turn my father's house into this den of iniquity and turning tables and He said, I'll destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Because the temple he was talking about was his body. And that's the point. If you know Jesus, he is your temple. If you know Jesus, he's the place where you meet with your God. I love this building. It's a beautiful building. Beautifully renovated with beautiful paint and beautiful carpets and beautiful chairs and beautiful people. It's a great building, but it's just a building. We don't come here to meet with God. We could meet Him down under the harbour bridge. We could gather down there. Let's stop thinking that somehow this is the meeting place for God, but as soon as you walk out this door, God is not with you. More than that, if you know Jesus, you live well because God is always with you, isn't He? If you put your trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within inside you. And what does the Bible say? Your body is a temple to the Holy Spirit. Now, I look out tonight and there's, what, a hundred little temples walking around because we're all filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful truth. You live well because God is always with you 24-7. If you're in Jesus, he's with you in the dark times and he's with you in the delightful times. If you're in Jesus, he's with you in the pleasant times and in the most painful times. That's what helps you to live well because God is always with you. The second amazing truth from this is that God's always in control. I love this, that from a human perspective it always looks as though God's plan is about to fail, doesn't it? God's people get sent to Egypt and God's people are oppressed and they're treated as slaves. But God's with them. God sees them. God hears them. God cares for them. God rescues them. Even when they're building that wretched golden calf and abandoning God and disobeying God, God is still with them and God is still in control. I wonder whether you spotted it. How is God going to get the gospel out of Jerusalem into Samaria and into Judea into the rest of the world. 8 verse 1. On that day a severe persecution broke out against a church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered through the land of Judea and Samaria. Do you see how God uses suffering and persecution as part of his plan to get his gospel out? And here's my point. When you know Jesus, you know that God is with you And God's always in control, no matter how messy your life looks. Now that helps you to live well. Because your purpose, your direction, your confidence is not in you and your plans, but in Jesus and his presence and his providence. So when you know Jesus, you live well, and when you know Jesus, you die well, I think Stephen died pretty well. I'd like to die like Stephen. I don't mean the stoning. I'm a wuss. I'm a coward. I mean his confidence. His peace. You see that in verse 55? But Stephen, filled by the Holy Spirit, that is, with God's help, he gazed into heaven. He saw God's glory with Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He has a vision of Jesus, his Saviour, standing. I hope you spotted that Jesus is not sitting at this point. Uh, Most of the Bible talks about Jesus seated at the right hand of of his Father. But here he says that Jesus is now standing. Why is that? I think he's standing to to welcome home his, his servant. It's a beautiful picture where it's almost like uh, Jesus on his throne, as he sees Stephen approaching, he stands and steps forward and says, Welcome home, good and faithful servant. And there's a piece about his death, isn't there? They are pummel him with rocks. They are stoning him, they're pelting him. But verse 59, have you heard these prayers anywhere before? They were stoning Stephen as he called out, Lord Jesus. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And see how Stephen dies just like Jesus died? Because when you know Jesus, you can go to a death like Jesus went to his death with a confidence, with a peace. I love how this verse ends. Just look at it. And saying this, he, he fell asleep. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's how the Bible describes your death. You fall asleep in Jesus. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? You know, when your head hits the pillow last thing at night, and you're tossing and you're turning, you're tossing and you're turning, and then before you know it, you've just fallen asleep. And you can't remember that exact moment when you fell asleep. And then you wake up and you go, Oh, I've been asleep for a long time. That's the picture of death for the believer. Like the pain may be real, the agony may be real. But you fall asleep in Jesus. And you're with him for all eternity. I remember my my auntie Betty dying. She was my godmother. She was a a godly woman who prayed for me every day of her life. And she died before she had the joy of seeing me come to faith. It was a long illness. It was a horrible illness. But she died with this absolute peace. And a serenity almost. And yeah, a longing. A longing to see her saviour. Now I'll say it again, I don't know how we will all die or when we will all die. But I do know this, if you know Jesus tonight, you can die well. You can die with this confidence and this certainty that Jesus is standing saying, welcome home, welcome home. I want to finish tonight by quoting from this hymn. Dying with Jesus, his death reckoned mine. Living with Jesus, a life new divine. Looking to Jesus till glory doth shine, moment by moment, O Lord, I am thine. Never a trial that he is not there, never a burden that he doth not bear, never a sorrow that he doth not share. Moment by moment, I'm under his care. Moment by moment, I'm kept in his love. Moment by moment, I have life from above, looking to Jesus till glory doth shine. Moment by moment, O oh Lord, I am thine. I pray that it be true for you tonight, that you would live well and that you would die well because you know and love Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for that amazing truth that you are with us always. We don't need to go to a building or to a place to meet with you. But when we come to Jesus, we, we have that certainty that you're always with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. Father, if there are people here tonight who are struggling with that truth, would you, by your spirit, assure them of your presence? Whatever way you need to do that, Lord, would you remind that you are with them and you are in control? Lord, please help us to, to live well on this earth because we know you and we're loved by you. Please help us to make decisions that are, are godly and right. Help us to speak words of truth. Help the scriptures just to, to flow from our mouth and shape every decision that we make. And Lord, death is not pleasant. Lord, you know the pain that some of us will go through. You know the fear that some of us have. But thank you, Lord, that because of Jesus, we can be confident and certain and that we can die well. We thank you in Jesus' name.